The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. We're going to begin in verse 26 today. Actually, let's start in verse 25. I'm going to read through the first part of chapter 6. Paul's letter to the Galatians is really crystal clear in that the gospel should be at the center of the Christian's life. Hear me well. The gospel is not just what unbelievers use for salvation. Though it is that, I would say it's wonderfully that. The gospel is also to be at the center of our lives. It shapes us. It, it affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way we relate to other people. It affects, obviously, the way we relate to God. The great Martin Luther was really keenly aware of this. As he writes, Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me not what I ought to do. For that is the proper office of the law. But what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that He suffered and He died to deliver me from sin and death, the Gospel wills me to receive this and believe it. And this is the truth of the Gospel. Watch what he says. It's also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all goodness consists. Most necessary it is, don't miss this, that we should... Know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. And you've heard me talk repeatedly over this, the course of our series through Galatians about the essence and the functionality and the beauty of the gospel. And I would say like Luther that it can't be beat into our heads enough. We need it. And I would go even further and say not only should it be beaten into our heads, but it should be captured by our hearts. Continually, And in my estimation, the, the spiritual apathy that we see today in the modern church, the relational issues, the lack of commitment, the joylessness, it's all caused because we've lost focus on the gospel. We get the gospel back, we get the joy back, we get the faithfulness back, we get the relationships back. And here's, let me summarize it by saying this, a healthy church is a gospel-centered church. A healthy church is a gospel-centered church, not popular today. You don't hear much gospel preaching in many pulpits today, but a gospel-centered church is a healthy church. So I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. The Word of God says this, and I apologize, by the way, I don't know why that came out so small this morning. Okay, have good vision. If not, we'll just form a little healing line up here, we'll pray for you, and you'll be able to see the screen. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. May the Lord give us ears to hear what he is saying today. Through the lens of these verses, uh, today I want to look at how the gospel radically impacts, number one, our own self-image or self-worth, if you will. And then secondly, I want to look at how that the gospel will affect our relationship with one another, namely, specifically other Christians. Without a clear understanding of the gospel, uh, we will have a really distorted view of self. We'll have a really distorted self-image. We will have a misplaced identity, if you will. Verse 26, Paul writes, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, the word conceited here is the Greek word kenotixos. And it means, it's a word we don't use often, it's called vainglorious. Alright, how many have used that in the last week? The word vainglorious. If your spouse isn't with you today, go home and just say, honey, you're being so vainglorious and you will really impress them, right? Um, It's not a word we use often, but it's the closest rendering we have to what Paul's getting across here. There there are actually two implications with the word vainglorious. One of them, it, it means to glory without reason. This would be somebody with a false arrogance. If you're sitting next to a person, don't point to them. This is someone who is boastful with no reason to be boastful. Alright, so there's kind of a distorted arrogance. The other meaning of this is an eagerness for empty glory. Alright, here's what that means. It literally means someone who is deplete of glory. Someone who is has no glory, no honor, um, no approval. And so they are actually very insecure. Right? And they'll use whoever they can to kind of feel that sense of approval. I love kind of how Tim Keller put this. I think he played off Augustine a little bit. And he says, listen, every one of us have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. But he's, he's more specific than, than when you normally hear this talked about. He said, see, we're created to worship God, to serve God, to glorify God. The Bible is wrought with that implication. We're, we're made to glorify God, to serve Him, to love Him. And because of that, every human being on this earth has one specific need. You know what it is? To hear those beautiful words from our God, well done, good and faithful servant. And so all of us have that longing. We don't always recognize what it is, but all of us have. If you feel empty, that's what that emptiness is, essentially. It can play out in many different ways, but essentially that's what that need is. And so here's what happens. When we're not walking with the Lord, when we're not staying in step with the Spirit, when we're not pleasing the Lord, when we don't know the Lord, we're empty because we're not experiencing God's approval. And so what happens is we use every relationship to make us feel better about ourselves. We will use people to fill the void that only God can fill. And we're always empty because that can never, ever happen. 
People cannot suffice for only what God can give you. And that's, so that's kind of what it is to be vain glories. It's, it's to be deplete of glory. So let me talk about the impact of being vain glories or the effects. In verse 26, Paul says, Let us not be conceited, provoking or envying one another. You see the two major effects of being vainglorious there? Number one, he uses the word provoking. Don't provoke one another. Now the Greek word here is prokaleo. And it means to challenge somebody to a contest. Alright? That's what provoking is. John Stott, the great commentator, says that this implies that we are so sure of our superiority that we want to demonstrate it. So this is somebody, to summarize, this is somebody with a superiority complex. You know somebody like that. They're so sure of their knowledge and wisdom and goodness and superiority that they want the whole world to know. And so they challenge everybody on everything. But then the other effect of being vainglorious on the other side of the coin is envy. And this just means that we are jealous. It's the Greek word phaneo. It's being jealous of one another's gifts or accomplishments. So this would be like having an inferiority complex. So either you feel superior or you feel inferior. Neither are good. And isn't this our own experience? When we don't truly understand the gospel, when we're not walking in step with the Spirit, spirit we will experience either a superiority complex or an inferiority complex. Inferiority complex, and here's normally what happens. It's kind of a, a, a mixture of the two. At some points we feel superior, some points we feel inferior, and so it's, we have kind of this mixture of the two. And here's the bad thing of, of this when it concerns our relationships with one another. When this is the case, you know what happens? We will only get involved with people for self-benefit. We'll always evaluate our relationships based on ROI, return on investment. Like you're a, you know, a, a, a business deal, not, not a person. And here's, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll evaluate and say, will this person benefit me? And if not, I'm not getting involved. And then if you're in a relationship, if you're a vainglorious person, when you're done receiving benefit, you'll cast them by the wayside. That's what it means to be vainglorious, and that's the outworking of it in our lives. So let me break this down just a little bit further and talk about the superiority complex. A person who is a provoker, someone with a superiority complex, will not get involved with other people's burdens. You know why? Because they think they're better than that person. They don't want to get in their mess. If they do get involved, you know what they'll do? If they get involved in your mess, they will kick you while you're down and they will show you how much better they are than you. They'll say things like, well, I would never do such a thing. My kids would never act in such a way. You know, like they're perfect. They'll get on their moral high horse and they will judge you and they will condemn you. Have you ever felt that in a church? Religious folks are notorious for this. People with feelings of superiority will challenge you on everything. Do you know anybody like this? They're exhausting. One of the most telling signs is that they will one-up you on every story. You'll tell a story of some victory, they've got to one-up you. 
one of you every time. They'll always have the final say. They're exhausting. They're cynical. They'll challenge you on things that don't even matter. Things that, that, that don't even amount to a hill of beans, they'll challenge you on because they want you to know they're smarter than you, they're better than you, or so they think. They need to feel better than you, and they need you to know that. These are the opinionated know-it-alls that need the world to know that they're God's gift to the earth. Right, now, I hope that doesn't describe you or the person sitting next to you. Worked with a man in a, another place that really got his jollies at making the rest of his staff feel inferior. He would beat us down and he, like, like he knew everything. He loved to be in the spotlight and he let everyone know how good he was. You know what that is? It's provoking. You don't need to flaunt it. Alright? You don't need to flaunt who you are. You don't need to provoke other people. Well, let's look at the other side of this. The inferiority complex that is birthed out of envy. Those with an inferiority complex will actually get involved in others' burdens. You know why? Because they need to feel like the hero. So they'll always think that somebody that wants to help is just has pure motives. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And there are people, listen to me, with inferiority complex. Here's what they'll do. They'll get involved in a situation and secretly... They don't want that person's situation to get better. You know why? Because they want to be needed. They want to feel needed. And then they want the spotlight. They'll say, oh, I, I don't want anybody to know. Don't tell anybody this. But I'm just helping so-and-so. And, well, why are you telling me then? You do want people to know or you wouldn't talk about it. And, and so they use, it's somebody that, that is really giving, but they use it to make themselves better. And this is just as bad as the superiority complex. These individuals, listen, cannot celebrate other people's victories. They can't celebrate their achievements because they're envious, they're jealous. Another person gets some award or degree or achievement and they're responding like something like this, well, if I had the time that they did, I could do it too. They can't just celebrate and be happy. You know why? Because it makes them feel inferior. They're not walking in the gospel. Both of these attitudes of superiority and inferiority, they fall out of, or flow out of vainglory, where we have this false sense of self-worth, this misplaced identity. But here's what happens. This is the good news. The gospel radically changes everything. If you're here today and, and, and you think you're somebody, that you're better than other people, or you're here today and you're kind of down in the dumps and you feel like you're nothing, hang on. If you'll get a hold of what I'm about to tell you, the gospel will change everything. So we, here, here's what the gospel does. We move from a place of superiority or inferiority to a place of humility and great confidence. That's what the gospel does. The gospel, first of all, gives us great humility. Here's why. Let me give you this uh, summation of the gospel again. The gospel, here's what it says. That I'm more sinful and wretched than I ever dared imagine. But I'm more loved in Christ than I ever dared hope for. 
Alright, Here, here's why the gospel is hum- humbling. Half of the gospel is this. You and I are wretched sinners. Hang that on your mirror in the morning on a post-it note, right? I, I am a wretched sinner. Apart from Christ, we are wretched sinners. We're broken people beyond repair in a human sense. That's why Christ had to come. That is half of the gospel. You talk about a humbling truth. See, I think that the reason we see in church a a superiority complex is because some people think, religious folks think, they're not as bad as the person on the street. Brothers and sisters, without Christ, we are all in the same boat. Alright? So we have no reason to, to put ourselves above anybody else. Here's what the gospel tells me. It lets me know that I'm no better and I'm no worse than you. We're sinners that are totally reliant on God's grace. Here's what that means. My talents, my achievements, those all come by grace as well. You know, in in the church, one of the things we we really put on a pedestal is is, is singing. and, and, And I love beautiful singing. And I found this. That I've had some people through the years. I was a worship pastor for about 15 years. And we had some people that really wanted to sing, bless their hearts. Come on, somebody. And they used the excuse. Um, they said, Pastor, he says to make a joyful noise. I said, he doesn't say to do that on a microphone, though. So, I'm just saying. But here's what I've learned. People with a heart to sing, if they don't have the gift to sing, can't sing. You might learn to stay on pitch a little bit, but you're not going to be able to sing like Mariah Carey or whoever. It's cool these days. I'm old. <laughs> Students help me out. Who's cool these days? I don't know. You, or they don't know. I'm like, you're not no Elvis, you know. (laughs) He was before my time. Just saying. But here's what I've learned. That sometimes singers through the years, I've worked with a lot of them, can be really, really arrogant and feel like they're God's gift to the church. Now, our singers don't feel like that here. We wouldn't have them on the platform. But here's what you've got to know, singers. You are who you are by the grace of God. There are some people who are really, really smart. That knowledge, that ability to learn like that, to, to memorize, I mean, that's, that's a gift from the Lord. It's nothing, that, those people that you may feel inferior to, they didn't do anything to, yes, they've studied, but they have a natural inclination to learn. That's a gift from God. You don't have to feel inferior if you don't have that. And if you do have it, you shouldn't feel superior to the ones that don't. You see what this does? You see what the gospel does? It says, listen, I'm broken beyond repair. Without Christ, I'm hopeless. And that's the story of every one of us. So it levels the playing field. I am who I am because of the grace of God. It's humbling. But there's something else that comes with this. It's not just humility. There's a, let me say, rightly placed confidence. It's not, oh, believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in it. No, it's believe in Christ and what He's done. Believe in Christ and what He's done. It's a rightly placed confidence. See, the summation of the gospel, which, yes, that I'm more sinful and wretched than I ever thought possible, than I ever dared imagine, ever dared dream. But here's the beauty. I'm more loved in Christ than I could ever hope for. 
That's wonderful news. That's why we call this gospel the good news. Galatians 1.3, Paul summarizes the gospel so well. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age according to the will of God the Father to whom be the glory and forever and ever. Do you get the implication here? We're all sinners. That's why he came to save us from our sins. So he saved us from our sin. And how did he do it? He gave himself for us. That's what he did at Calvary. He gave himself for us. It's personal. You understand that. It's not just a historic fact. It is that. But he did it for you. He did it for me. He gave himself for us. So what does that mean? We've talked about this through this series that because of that through faith, we're brought in not not as servants, but as family, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's good news. You want to talk, you have an inferiority complex and you're a Christian? Beloved, you are a brother or a sister in Christ. You're a brother or a sister in Christ. You're part of the family of God. What do you have to feel inferior about? Do you know how ridiculous this is? This is why, church, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You ought to get up every morning and say, Oh, I'm a child of God. What can man do to me? What's it matter what man thinks of me? When someone is down on you and you don't have their approval, listen up somebody. Remember, if you're walking in faith, if you are a child of God, if you are in Christ, you have God's approval who cares what they think. Boy, that's free. Let them think what they want to think. Let them say what they will. Who gives a rip when the King of Kings is for you? Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Now watch this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's us. It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Did you get that? Christ came for you. He died for you. He justified you. And He's interceding for you. Who cares what people think? We spend so much of our time, in this country especially, worrying about what everybody thinks of us. Some of you probably this week have done what I've done before. You write a post on Facebook and you keep going back to see who's liked it. Because somehow that validates you. What we should ask is, God, do you like this? One day I just want a big thumbprint on that. You know, that's coming from the Lord saying, yes, this is glorifying. We, 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 we put our, uh, we, we put our um, post on and we often think, what's so-and-so going to think about this? What you ought to think before you post or say anything is what is God going to say about this? Because I'm after His approval, not yours. Amen? So here's the beauty of this. Some of you who would feel inferior, don't. Don't. This is why I want this church to be full of different Types of people, different social classes, different races, different cultures. 
different education levels. You're all welcome and you're all valued the same. So you aren't quite as educated as somebody else. You have God's approval. Who cares? You aren't quite as good looking as somebody else. You're too tall or too short or too heavy or too skinny. Who cares? You're not quite the preacher or teacher that someone else is. I'm preaching to myself. It's all right. I really want to stop leaving the pulpit going, I wonder if they liked it, and go, hey, God, you're giving me a thumbs up. I studied this week and I I preached what you wanted me to preach and just be satisfied with that. That's a hard thing for a preacher to do. You don't have to compare yourself to other people. Why? Because you're loved. You're loved by the King. So the Gospel gives us this accurate self-image where we walk in the balance of incredible humility but with great confidence in Christ and who we are in Christ. And this radically affects our relationship with others. I'm going to move to this quickly here. The general principle of how Christians should treat one another is found in verse 2. But you don't get the self-image right, you don't get this. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see the implication here. There's two of them. One, we all have burdens. You have a burden. Your neighbor's got a burden. Here's the other implication. We're not supposed to carry those burdens alone. I know we like to be macho. But it's vainglorious, not macho. When you think you can do this alone, I don't need anybody else. My granddaddy made it his own way, and my daddy made it his own way, and I'm going to make my own way. I don't depend on nobody. You're vainglorious. I need people. Are you better than me? Right? Come on. So we, we've got to be careful that, that we don't fall into that, that we don't isolate ourselves. When we're going through burdens, you know what typically we do? We like to isolate ourselves because we're either embarrassed or we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to seem needy or desperate or any of those things. But I would say this is part of the beauty of the church. This is why I know some people say they believe in Christ but don't want to be involved in church. Listen, the the New Testament, I've said it before, I'll say it again, knows nothing of a a Christian that's not involved in a church. It doesn't even make sense. One of the beauties and and wonders of the church, or or, of, of being saved that we get on this earth, one of the treasures that we get is the church. Is it messy? Is it painful at times? Yes. But there's nowhere I'd rather be this morning. And I hope you feel that way as well. So we need one another. Because God, you know what God does? He helps relieve our burdens by virtue of our relationship with other people. And you may say to me, well, Pastor, the Bible says, well, um, cast our cares upon Him, Jesus, because He cares for us. Or Jesus said, come to me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. So pastor, we just go straight to the Lord. And I would say yes, a hearty yes and amen. Go straight to the Lord. But you might find it interesting that the way that the Lord ministered to those burdens, the way that He relieves those burdens, it helps us endure those burdens. You know what it is? It's through Christian friendship. And I can give you a really great example. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul himself. He's writing the church at Corinth and he says, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. He was tired. He says, We were afflicted at every turn. 
fighting without and fear within. But watch what he says. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. How did he do it? By the coming of Titus. This is another brother in Christ. How did God comfort Paul? How did he help bear that burden? Through Titus. When we're burdened, we shouldn't try to handle it alone. That is a false sense of self. This is part of the the church's job is to share in those burdens. So when we avoid other people in those situations, what we're doing, we're moving into that vain, glorious attitude. And let me say, we're all called to the ministry of burden bearing. Something every one of us can do who have the Spirit of God. That's every Christian. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love one another as He has loved us. And so when we love God and we love people by burden sharing, you know what we're doing? In that moment we are fulfilling the New Testament law, the law of Christ. And may I add that we're to love not just by declaration. Because many of us would say we love the church, we love people, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the Bible calls us not just to, to, to love in demonstration or declaration, but also in demonstration. Here's the deal. You go to verses 3 and 5. We will not be able to bear each other's burdens unless we have a gospel-based view of self. Look with me again at this text. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, boy, that'll preach on it. He deceives himself. Let each one test his own work and then in his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor for each one will have to bear his own load. When we're puffed up with pride, we'll be so inwardly focused that we won't see the burdens of the people around us. I think the point here, Paul says that we're nothing. He's talking about apart from Christ, which is what Jesus said. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 15. The point is, we're not to compare ourselves to other believers. Newsflash, we all have our burdens to carry. So don't judge each other when when, when you're finding one another in different burdens, in different situations. Because we are where we are again by the grace of God. Verse 4 says, what are we to do? We're to test our own work. Here's what he means. Instead of comparing ourselves to other Christian brothers and sisters... What are we to do? Test your own heart. Your own motivation. Your own work. We're responsible to God for what we've been given. We've been given three things. Time, talent, and treasure. And we will give an account before the Lord one day. Let me just step down into your business for one second. Instead of going home and complaining about what's right. And and I know this doesn't happen a lot. But just in general this happens in churches. It doesn't always happen here. But it does happen. But don't go home and bellyache over everything that went wrong and oh, well, they should have done this and this and everybody and their problems and what's wrong with them. The the Bible says what you should do is go home today and look at your own life and say, how am I spending my time, my talent, my treasure? Is it honorable to God? Because you're going to give account uh, of that to Jesus one day. You're not going to give account for my burden, for the way I've spent my time, but you are going to give an account for yours. So instead of kicking other Christians while they're down, we need to worry about our own works. Now there's no contradiction here between verses 2 and verse 5. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. And then verse 5 says, each man will have to bear his own load. 
There are two different Greek words here. One is baros. In verse 2, it means a weight or heavy load. So this is a load that's too heavy for you to carry by yourself. You know, I see my, my mother here this morning. and We've had to carry a load with my stepfather falling off this roof and being in the hospital for weeks. It's been a nightmare. And, and my mom couldn't have done it without, the, our family couldn't have done it with the, so many of you and other family and friends who have gathered around us. It's a weight, isn't it, mom? Too, too burdensome to carry by ourself. But there's other burdens that we have. Verse 5. The Greek word is a common term for a men's pack. So it would be like a backpack or if you prefer a fanny pack. Come on, somebody. Come clean. Any fanny pack folk in here? Come on. It's all right. It's all right. No judgment here. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So these, there are some burdens that people can carry by themselves, like a backpack. And I agree with John Stott's take on this when he says that there is a burden that only we can carry that nobody else can help us with. And here it is. That is our responsibility to God at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what you're going to give account for. I can't help you with it. You can't help me for it. You, you can't stand in my place there. But there are burdens in this life that we can help one another with. There's financial burdens. There, what Don and Lynn, I, I so celebrate what you guys are doing. What you're doing is you're helping Christians with their burdens. Not that all marriages are a burden. Right? 6.1. Um, Paul gives us a really... Chapter 6, verse 1 in Galatians. Paul gives us a really clear example of burden bearing. This is only one example. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too become tempted. Now... He says, if someone is caught in any transgression, this is sin. If we're moving in a superiority, you know what we'll do? We'll put ourselves above another Christian who's struggling with sin. And we'll say like, things like this, like the Pharisees. Well, I would never do such a thing. I'm glad I'm not so lowly as so-and-so. I'm glad that I am keeping the straight and narrow way. Right? No, we don't. That's not the way we're to move, right? We don't want to move like that. And, and we, don't, we don't want to have that kind of attitude. We'll treat them with contempt. We'll say things like, I would never ever do that. I can't believe a so-called Christian would do that, right? Here's what we'll do as well. We'll do our best to point out their mess to other people. Because it makes us feel better about our own brokenness. See, when we're a little muddy, we like other people to have a lot of mud on, the, on them because we feel like the people won't notice us. So we love it. But if we have an inferiority complex, you know what we'll do? We'll avoid people in sin. You know why? We don't want to confront them even gently because we're too scared of what they think about us. We don't want to talk to them about sin. We don't want to call them out because they might be mad at me. Neither one of these are good. Or, if you have an inferiority complex, you've seen this, you'll put them down just to build yourself up. To make yourself feel a little bit better. But he says, brothers, if any one of you is caught in a transgression. Listen, this is not pointing out every fault. Alright? When a fellow Christian is overtaken by sin, that means that you, you see this pattern. This is serious business. We're not to ignore it. 
Nor are we to gossip to anybody about it. Please hear me, church. When you see one of our people in sin, you don't have to come tell me. It's alright. You go to them if you're saved in gentleness and love. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keeping, uh, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What are we to do? We're to restore that person. We're to set him on the, the right path. And in closing, let me say this. Luther's application is phenomenal here. He says this. Here's what we're to do when somebody is caught in sin. Run unto Him and reaching out your hand, raise Him up again, comfort Him with sweet words, and embrace Him with motherly arms. Let me say that again. This is somebody, a Christian brother or sister that is in sin. Run unto Him. In other words, don't sweep it under the rug. That's not loving. Run unto Him and reaching out your hand, raise Him up again. And comfort Him with sweet words. And embrace Him with motherly arms. Let me ask you, is that your response when you hear a brother or sister is in sin? Or is it? How are we to restore a Christian or brother or sister? Look at that verse one more time. You who are spiritual should restore Him in a spirit of gentleness. This goes back to the fruit of the Spirit. Who, who are you who are spiritual? This is not an elite class in the church. The ones who are spiritual, if you remember in chapter 5, I believe Paul's going right along with that thought. These are those who walk by the Spirit. Those who have the fruit of the Spirit, which ought to be every Christian. You're to embrace people who are in the struggle and love them through it. No, we're not to turn a blind eye to sin and say, oh, it's okay, just keep walking in your ways. No. That's not loving. We're to confront them for their own good and for the glory of Christ. But we do it in a spirit of gentleness. And we do it in a spirit of privacy. Go to them in private, in a loving manner and say, I've seen this in your life. And I want to beg you, church, and you're already doing this, but I want us to grow in this even more. One of the things I love about real life community church is that I see this happening. I want to bear one another's burdens. I want you to know if you're part of this church, you're not alone. You don't have to bear the burdens of life on your own. You're in sin. You don't have to be ashamed of it and hide it because if you hide it, If you hide it, it'll get worse. It'll grow. It'll fester. You can come to one of our leaders or any one of our brothers and sisters that you trust. And we're not going to tell you it's okay. Keep doing it. But we're going to help you gently out of that. And I beg my staff, if you ever see me moving in this direction, because the Bible says, if any of you think he's above falling, take heed, lest you fall. I said, if you see me going down the the road of pride or greed or lust or whatever it might be, I said, tackle me to the ground. You don't even have to, you can throw out the gentleness part with me. We need to hold one another accountable. And whatever your burden is, we need to share it. It's interesting, this week, um, one of our our families called me and and said, "We've we've got a situation. And uh, I was busy at the time, and, and 
this person ended up writing me back and said, well, I don't think you need to come. Everything's going to be all right. And I'm, I'm leaving the church and I've got this text on my mind. And uh, I'm on my way home. And the Holy Spirit just speaks to me and says, you going to do what you're going to preach on Sunday? Okay, he didn't say exactly that, but that's what I felt. All right? That's what I felt. You ever feel Holy Ghost conviction? Right? So I, I felt. And so I was able to go in and get to the minister. And that, what was that? That's help, helping share the load. But let me say, let me declare, that's not just the pastor's job. We've got people right now that, that are in the hospital or nursing homes or different places. Don't leave it up to the pastor to go every place. Where to share everybody's burdens one with another. The financial load of this church. Don't, please, church members, don't put it on just 20 people. It's burdensome. It's too heavy for us to carry. Join in with us. It's sharing the burden. It's joy. Whatever it is, whatever your need is, I want you to know you're not alone. I want to invite you to stand. The praise team is going to come. They're going to lead us in just a, a, a little bit more of worship. And as we do, these altars are open. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Today, I pray that you would call upon the name of the Lord. Repent. Believe in Him. If you're a Christian here and your relationships are a mess, I want you to know this message, this gospel can change all of that. If you're here today and you don't have a positive self-image, if you don't see yourself through the love of Christ, let it change today. Line back up with the implications of the gospel. And these altars are going to be open for prayer. And I would just ask some of our prayer team, if you see somebody down, come and help me pray for people. If you're broken today, if you're hurting today in any way, would you come let me pray for you? I'd, I'd be so honored. No shame, no judgment here. This is a, pl- a community of love. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.